Today's reading is from Psalm 25. Hear the word of the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And I just want to let you in on one of my family's traditions around this time of year. Um, you know, everybody's got their Christmas traditions, right? And uh, for my family growing up, whenever you uh, got past the, the turkey and the stuffing of Thanksgiving and you started pulling out the Christmas decorations, you know, the faux tree with the pine scented candles to try to hide that it was a faux tree. And well, that usually meant one thing for us. Um, that usually meant it was time for a Hallmark Christmas movie marathon. <clears throat> I didn't say it was a good tradition. Okay. Um, and here's the deal. I was the only guy in our house, and being the youngest, I had little to no say in what movies we watched. So often I would sit there with my two sisters and my mom, and we would watch movies with titles like, I'm not ready for Christmas, or Christmas Incorporated, or my favorite, Tis the Season for Love, right? Or just to round it out, Ice Sculpture Christmas. And it doesn't take long um, to figure out that every one of these movies has the same formula. If you've seen one, you've really seen them all. So let, let's just remind ourselves of the formula, okay? So girl returns to small town jaded from big city job. Girl meets boy. Girl and boy hit it off. Girl and boy have a fight. And then, of course, girl and boy end happily ever after with a, with a snow-covered kiss on Christmas, right? That's the way it always goes, seriously. And... and 
What to make matters worse is, you know, at the end of these movies, I would look around and my mom and my sisters would always be bawling. And I would think, <laughs> you knew this was going to happen. I mean, the only thing that was different was that he was a doctor instead of a lawyer. What a twist, okay? <laughs> and it kind of makes my skin crawl. I'm great if that's your thing. Uh, Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, I think part of it that just drives me crazy is that it, this picture of love, it, it's so out of touch with reality, isn't it? I know that sounds jaded. <laughs> Welcome to church. But, um, <laughs> but that's just not how love works in the real world. Could you imagine if, if Hallmark did like Christmas specials that jived with the real world? I mean, I know Lifetime's kind of got the niche on that, but here's... Here's what it would be like. It would be, you know, still, you know, girl moves back to small town, jaded from big city job. Sure, that's, that's constant. Um, girl meets boy. Girl and boy hit it off. Girl and boy have a fight. Girl <laughs> finds herself alone on Christmas knitting sweaters for her cat, questioning love. The end. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Look, nobody wants to see that. Okay, maybe cats and sweaters. But, you know, you don't want to see... <laughs> You don't want to see the whole thing, right? Because it's too close to home. Christmas, it's weird, all right? I, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of year. But there's something about Christmas that comes with, with the best experiences of love and memories while also conjuring up just some of the greatest disappointments with love. Um, for so many of us, right, Christmas is one of those moments where family and, and even the presence of family can bring pain. You were looking for it, but this is the moment where we bring in that first game. Like, it's like the literal family feud. You see how we tied that in? So there it is. So it's like the literal family feud on Christmas Eve where Aunt, you know, Judy never forgives Uncle Jack for, you know, that argument from 10 years ago. Or people are fighting over who gets you at which party. And you're always, like, wrestling on Christmas Eve. And so family, and even the presence of family, can at times mean pain and heartache. And then, of course, there's the pain and heartache that comes with the regret for the family that never came about. Or the pain and regret for the family that fell apart through the wounds of lack of trust and then divorce. And then maybe some of the greatest wounds of all that just become so tangible and so heartbreaking this time of year is the, the pain of loss and death. Where you look around where loved ones once were and now they're empty chairs and empty stockings. I know for, uh, for us, for, for my family, um, in my marriage, probably as, about as long as we've been married, Allie and I have hung a little star for our first son who went to be with the Lord some five years ago this Christmas. I think of how my grandpa passed away in August and how my grandma, who's back in Ohio, is going to spend most of this season alone. I think of my dad, who only God knows where, will not be with his kids, his grandkids, again for another Christmas. And so love, when we get all these feelings that are conjured up, we, we know it's hard and we know it's messy and, and often it's intermixed with these feelings of disappointment, of failure, and shame. And then we as Chris, Christians, we, we say something profound, that God is love. And of course it comes with so much baggage. I, I, I think that if you live in the Western Hemisphere and you believe that God exists, chances are really good somehow, some way, you believe that he's a loving God. But we have no idea what that means. There are so many definitions of love, for one, and then two, every taste of love we've had has been intermixed with this disappointment 
and pain and failure. Sure, God's bigger. Sure, he's better. But I think a question that haunts every human heart, if you've known pain, if really you've known love, you ask the question, will God's love leave us like every other love? Will God's love leave us disappointed like every other love? And if you're asking that question this morning, you almost didn't want to come to church because you know this is a Christmas kind of Sunday and you didn't know if you could sing those Christmas songs, well, you're not alone. If you're here this morning and you're not asking that question, that day will come when you will. Don't let it take you by surprise. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to learn from someone who asked this question himself. His name is David. He was a king of Israel, and actually, Scripture touted him as a man after God's own heart. He was so intimate in his walk with God that he wrote a majority of the songs in the songbook of the Bible called Psalms. And someone so, so intimately connected with God asked this question more deeply than most. And so if you're asking that question this morning, I think you're in pretty good company. And I think we feel this question even more acutely. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. That happens. I, get, I don't even feel, I don't just feel pain in my knees more. I feel the pain in the world in a different way. Where I think so many people more and more feel the lack and the longing for hope, for peace, for love, for joy. And we know we need more than just these fairy tales of love. We know we need actually songs that sustain us. Songs that do more than just inform us, but form us into the kind of people who can stand the test of time. We need songs that can sustain us through all the pain and heartache and still reach out for love. And so we're returning to the songs that have sustained God's people for thousands of years in the book of Psalms. And this morning, we're going to return to one of those songs in particular, a song that David wrote, a song of love which I know sounds like another Hallmark Christmas special, okay? <laughs> but stick with me, and let's look at that together. If you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 25, which if you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 459. Now, maybe one thing you noticed while the lyrics of this song were read for you earlier, just a minute ago, is that this doesn't sound like most of the love songs we've heard before. For starters, David, the songwriter, begins by crying out to God. He says, I lift up my soul to you. And then he almost doesn't know what to ask or what to say, right? Because he starts off by saying, I trust you. And then he says, but don't, don't leave me hanging here. But no, no, really, I trust you. And if you look throughout this psalm, you see this ebb and flow of trust and then questioning. Trust and then questioning, trust, and then questioning all throughout this psalm. And here's why, because this isn't some fairy tale love. This is real life, tentious, sometimes heartbreaking love. So let's look at this a little more in detail here in Psalm 25. First, David feels like everything's falling apart. That's why he's crying out. And he's trying to hold it together. In verse 2, he says he's surrounded by enemies and foes. And to kind of make matters worse... Chances are really good. These are people that David knew. These were his friends. That's why he calls them treacherous in verse 3. And, and I think as we navigate relationships, there's nothing like betrayal that can make us feel alone. There's nothing like betrayal that can make us cynical, even towards the best of loves. And this is what 
This is what we see here with David. He, if you go down to verse 16, it reaches ahead and he goes on to ask for God to actually turn back to him. He feels like God has even abandoned him. He's not really sure, but he feels like it and he feels stressed. He feels alone. He feels afflicted. His world feels like it's spinning. And what's he afraid of? What's the real fear at the heart of all of this? He's afraid that God's not going to follow through on what he promised. He's afraid that God's going to abandon him. He feels like God's abandoned him, but, but he thinks he's still there, and, but he's wrestling with whether God will really follow through. And that's where you see all this shame language. It seems kind of weird in this psalm. Don't leave me ashamed. What he's saying is, is God, I have trusted you. I've put my neck out. I've followed your commands. And now the enemies are arising because they're not liking what's happening in my life. And I need you to follow through or I feel like I'm going to look like a fool. And then he even feels disoriented. In verses Verse 4, he, he asks for God to, to make me to know your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And David knows the commands. He knows the Torah, the law of God. What he's trying to say there is, please, God, I'm waiting for you. I, th this seems so out of the ordinary. I, I don't know what to do. I need you to show up. And I think we all know that feeling. Everything seems to be going fine, and then you get that phone call, that text. You find out something you never, you never thought would happen, and it feels like nothing in the world is right. You thought you knew what to do, but now, I mean, how could you have, how could you have planned for this? I mean, of all things, this? And here's what we need to learn from this song, the song of love right from the get-go, and that's... God's love still includes heartache. God's love still includes heartache. If you're going through pain, if you're, if you're hurt this morning, I don't want you to feel like somehow that's abnormal and you're out on the fringes and everybody else is doing okay. Your pain is actually normal. But I also want you to know that the pain you experience, the stuff that kind of eats away at our heart, that doesn't mean that there's a fatal flaw in God's love. The reality is, is that that's a sign that this world needs more of God's love, not less. Maybe you're here today, and, and like I said, the holidays, they have this way of doing this in us. They bring up the memories of betrayal from family or friends. Maybe you have loved ones who've turned their back on you. You love them. You gave your time to them, your energy to them, and now... It seems like they're strangely silent, strangely absent. And you're wondering, in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart, or maybe it's screaming right in your face, maybe, God, maybe God's a lot more like my fill-in-the-blank, my boss, my ex, my father, my friend. And suddenly, without realizing it, the love that was withheld by others becomes the primary lens through which we see the love that God himself offers. It wasn't too long ago, um, there was someone who was visiting the church. And they'd come for a while, they'd seen the ins and outs, they went to Newcomer Coffee and they had some questions and they said, hey, let's grab coffee. I grab coffee, coffee with people all the time. I said, sure. And as we sat there, we finally found a time that worked out. And as we sat there, I began to listen. 
as they told story after story of church after church after church that they felt like had hurt them, that didn't understand them. And then they went on to say how nobody in their family understood them and didn't underst- misunderstood them and hurt them. And they felt all alone. And my heart broke and I listened. And I, I could only just squeak out these words, well, I hope this is a place of healing. I hope you know we're excited to welcome you here. Well, it wasn't but a few months later, and then suddenly the, the purpose for this meeting was to, to tell how Christ's community was now that church that had hurt them. Christ's community was that church that didn't understand them. And as we were talking and as I was trying to listen, I slowly realized that every issue that they had with someone or something that was going on within the church was because they'd reinterpreted the conversations through their past pain. There's always a gap. You see, you need to understand there's always a gap between what somebody says and what we hear. And what we put in that gap can truly determine the outcome of that relationship. And it can either be trust because there are always unknowns in conversation. There are always things we don't understand in conversation. And either we can put trust and fill that gap with trust, or we can fill that gap with our wounds, with our pain, with distrust. So for example, someone may come up to you and introduce themselves and then tell you about their vocation as, as in their intention to, to kind of begin to build the fabric of relationship. But if you fill that gap with wounds, suddenly you hear that as a power play. Suddenly, that person is trying to demand respect for you. That's the only reason they would mention their job, because they want you to learn to respect them, because that's what the old people at the old church did before when they hurt me. You find yourself in a situation where somebody didn't reach out to you in your pain, and it wasn't because, if you fill the gap with trust, because they didn't know that you were in pain, or it wasn't because they were really busy and wrestling with their own pain, but but instead it was because they were intentionally avoiding you. Because you weren't worthy of their time and you filled that gap with distrust in your wounds because that's the way the people at the other church had wounded you. And you see, this is, we can do this in every relationship in our lives and the relationship with God isn't any different. Where slowly the wounds of the past can always, they always have this way of playing into the relationships of the present. And because of our wounds from others, our insecurity, our hurts, We come to God and using all of these wounds because because that's what love was defined. That's what we've seen time and again. And when we come to God's love, we see it through this lens and we say, surely, how can we know anything better? You must be like every other love that's been engaged in my life. Well, if we've got all these wounds and we, so often I think we project our wounds upon God's perfect love, what should we rightly expect of God's love? This is a question I think we all hunger for. What is God's love really like? Well, let's look back at our song here. When David, a man after God's own heart, highlights God's love, what word does he use? We were singing about it. We heard it read. It's the word steadfast. Or or in another way of saying it is, is loyal. Loyal love, steadfast love. In Hebrew, it's chesed. And we see this showing up in verse 6 and 7. And 10. You see, when David feels like his world is spinning, he calls to remember what? Oh Lord, remember your steadfast love. 
And it's kind of weird, this request that he makes, right? Because he doesn't, he doesn't ask, or do, he's not trying to conjure within himself to remember God's steadfast love. He actually tells God, please, please don't remember the sins of my youth, this, this guilt that continues to plague me, but instead remember your steadfast love. What's going on here? This is a weird request to ask God to remember something. Well, there's another key word here we can't miss when we come to understand God's love. You see, this steadfast love is not given in a vacuum. Instead, it's given in what's called a covenant. A covenant. This is a word that shows up all over our passage as well. And just to give you a picture, this shows up in Genesis 15, where God has Abraham do something kind of bizarre to, to us 21st century moderns, but not in an ancient Near Eastern context. He tells Abraham, okay, I want you to get all this livestock, like a cow, um, a pigeon, hey, since it's Christmas, some turtle doves, right? Cut them in half. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't sound Christmas. Cut them in half, put the two parts on both sides so that there's this little created pathway of blood. And this is what you would do in ancient Near Eastern culture, and you'd make a promise, and then you'd look back at the animals, and you would say, may I be like these animals if I don't uphold my side of the bargain? And so Abraham does all of this, and he sits under a tree, and he's waiting for God to show up. A really interesting scene, and he falls asleep, and what we see is that God goes through the animals alone. He goes through the animals alone, and you know what that says about his loyal love? What God is trying to communicate in that moment is that, listen, listen, if I don't hold my side of the commitment, I'll die, but if you don't hold your side of the commitment, I'll die for you. That's how loyal his love is. That's the extremes that God cares for us. And this is what David holds on to. And if we miss this, we're going to miss the very core of what David is singing when he's singing this song of love. And at the heart of David's confidence is this, is that God's love will never leave us ashamed. God's love will never leave us ashamed. Yeah, we'll still know heartache because we project so much of our brokenness and we live in so much brokenness. But God will always follow through in the end. And we have something that David didn't. We know that we have broken our side of the covenant. We know time and again we've pushed God out rather than seeking to be committed to our relationship with him. And what did we receive in return? But Christmas. That God became human. He lived. And he died. And so everything that David cries out for here in verses 11 through 15, we hear God's yes to us in Jesus. Our, long, our longing for pardon, our longing for salvation, an invitation for friendship with God. These aren't just hopes. These have been made a reality in Christ. And if there was ever a sign that points us to God's everlasting love towards us, it's that when pain and hardship and trouble, when they intersect with our lives, we see a God who runs, but not away from us, instead runs right smack dab into the middle of our pain and dies for it. I think we need some new images of the love of God. And I was thinking about this, this loyal, steadfast love. And, and, and I think that God's love, as we look across the pages of Scripture and we think of his steadfast love, God is a lot more like a mother who has two autistic boys. And, and he fights for, her, for their rights. He fights to protect them. When the going gets tough, God gets tougher. 
and stays with those boys and watches them grow up and is unwilling to quit. God is a lot more like the husband who caught his wife cheating and he sought to forgive her and make a way to grow in intimacy no matter how long the road may be. God is like that friend that, that always, always has your back, whatever may come, and always assumes the other guy's wrong, <laughs> but simultaneously out of love is always willing to confront. That's our God. That's his love. And he's loved us before the very beginning of time. And his love will never, ever, 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 ever fade. No matter what. And that begs a question. If still having heartache is a part of God's love in this broken world, this side of heaven, and yet we can trust that God's love will never leave us ashamed. What do we do in the midst of heartache, hurt, and pain? And I think this is important for us to understand what David models here for us. That, that, that shows us that this is a song that guides us to a sustaining lifestyle rather than just informs us with some interesting facts. Here it is. God's love invites us to wait. God's love invites us to wait. Listen, in one sense, right, we, we have Christmas. God has come, he's died, he's rose again. We're so much further than David could have even fathomed at this point when he's pinning this song. But in another sense, we're right there with him. In verse 3, 5, and 21, waiting. And listen, I hate waiting. I don't know about you, but if I don't know something, I ask Siri, right? <laughs> if I watch a TV show... It's not on TV, and it's not on Hulu, it's on Netflix, because there are no commercials. And I'm not alone there. I have to, I have to tell you this story. My, uh, we have some friends that come over and watch our kids when Allie and I get a date night every now and then. And my kids just love these people. And I made the mistake of telling my daughter Ava on Sunday that Mrs. Jill was going to come watch them on Saturday. So Monday morning, I go in to wake up my daughter First thing out of her mouth, Mrs. Jill, come over today. No, Miss Jill coming over on Saturday. Today's Saturday. No, today's Monday, and we still have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then Mrs. Jill comes over on Saturday. And with like the most forlorn look on her face says, okay, <laughs> right? Because nobody likes to wait. And I kid you not, she asks that every single morning. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, until Saturday. Miss Jill, it's coming over, you know. We all hate waiting. And yet, that's the difficult nature of God's love, is that it invites us to wait for him. And, and, and listen, we have a lot of misunderstandings, not just about love, but even about waiting. Waiting on God's love doesn't mean that we wait to live. Waiting on God's love doesn't mean we stop praying and somehow bottle up all of our emotions. Is that what we see here with David? No. Waiting definitely doesn't mean you ignore your questions, but instead you ask them. Waiting and most definitely doesn't mean we guard ourselves from ever experiencing love. To the contrary, what we see here, to wait on this kind of God, a God who promises, who said that he will not leave his people ashamed, that means that we love today like God will follow through tomorrow. We love today like God will follow through 
tomorrow. And everything within us, right, because of our insecurity, because of our pain, says abort, give up. You're not worth it. This is too good or maybe especially too good for you. He's just like everyone else. He will leave you. He will abandon you. Go back to your survival tactics. Instead, what we say and what we hold on to is that we live our lives banking that God will follow through. I mean, this word for waiting that we see in the Hebrew, it has hope in it. Anticipation built right in. And listen, God will not leave us like a bride at the altar waiting for a groom who ran out of the church building. God will not, he's not a father who, who leaves his children reaching out with no one to embrace. And so waiting, waiting means we trust his commands and we lean into them more, not less. Waiting means we hold fast to his promises and we live in light of them more not less. Waiting means we are more vulnerable, not less. We give our, of ourselves away more, not less. That we love more, not less. Even if there's the possibility of losing everything. And none of that makes sense unless we really do trust that God's going to follow through. That the same God who came, lived, died, and rose again will not abandon us. And you know what's one of those gifts that while we wait, while we live into what really waiting means, when we learn to love today like God really will follow through tomorrow, you know what we'll find? We'll find a growing intimacy with God as we wait for God. You know, when you get to the New Testament and Jesus talks about love and intimacy, he doesn't talk about warm fuzzies, which is usually our litmus test for connection, isn't it? Instead, in John chapter 14, verse 21, this is what Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you want to grow in intimacy with God while you wait for him? The pathway of intimacy is paved with one act of obedience after another. The friendship of God is made available if we'll trust him. One act of obedience after another. You can know and be known by God even now. And, and I don't, I don't want to go so far as to say that that's going to compare to when God and Christ returns. There's, there's nothing like when our flesh and blood eyes will see our flesh and blood Savior come and bring flesh and blood peace on this earth and we will feel his love, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. That is going to be glorious. But what we can know now is intimacy with him even as we wait. We can taste that love again, even today. And, and I know I started with just kind of bashing Hallmark Christmas movies to some degree, but I do like Christmas movies. And there's a new movie coming out this week that I, I'm personally really excited to see someday when I get a babysitter. Um, it's called Collateral Beauty. Um, in it, um, Will Smith, a depressed father, he, he'd lost his daughter. And as he processes this, he begins to write letters to love, to time, and to death. Because love, everybody longs for love. Time, we never feel like we have enough time. And death, everybody's afraid of death. And in this strange turn of events, love, time, and death take on flesh and blood. And they come to him, and he begins to have these conversations. 
And Love, played by Kira Knightley, is the last one to reach out to him. And Love approaches Will's character, who's still steeped in depression. And she says, don't try to do life without me. I'm the reason for everything. If you can accept that, then maybe you get to live again. And Will Smith, he looks her square in the eyes and says, I felt you every day when she laughed, and then you broke my heart. And love says, I was there in your laugh, in her laugh, but I'm also here in your pain. And love closes with this promise that love can be found again. When she says, just look for it. I promise you, it's there. That's not a fairy tale, folks. Love took on flesh and blood, and he dwelt among men. And he's the reason for everything. That doesn't mean that we're going to live lives without heartache because our hearts are involved and we've known so much pain that we so easily project it back on God. But it does mean that we can know now more than ever that God will not leave us ashamed. And if we can get that, I think we can live again. No matter where you are, no matter how badly you've been hurt, I think love is possible again even now. And we can love today like God really will follow through tomorrow. And what we'll find with every small step of trust is a growing intimacy with God as we wait for him. Don't try to do life without God and his love. Just look for it. I promise you, he's there. And he's singing a different song, a song of love. Let's pray. God, I know that your love is steadfast, persevering, never ending. And yet I know we wrestle with so much hurt in this room. As I think about the various stories that make up this community. And sometimes that hurt can become the greatest obstacle to even receiving your love. When things feel so chaotic and like they're spinning around us, we can feel like you're so distant that you have forgotten us. And I pray this morning that today that we would have the courage to lean into your love, to lean into your ways rather than away from your ways because of what you have done already in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the birth that you became human. And if you did that, you can do anything. We really are the most optimistic of people, the most hopeful of people because of what you've already done in history. So this morning, Lord, wherever there might be barriers, I pray you would break them down. Where there are those who have forgotten how to love, I pray, Lord, that you would direct our eyes, like David says, to be set on you, who will take our feet out of the snare. May we look to you and so find your love and know the joy of being loved and the intimacy that comes with knowing and being known by you. God, help us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.